What's up, man? Not a whole lot. How are you doing, Deacon? Well, I am a Deacon of the Church. What? Can you believe that? I can. That's awesome. <laughs> Thanks, buddy. Uh, yeah, I was ordained last Saturday, and now I am an official official minister of the Word, Chalice, and Charity. All right. So you're now actually able to uh, really prep a homily, do some homily I prep. Can, I can actually do that. I can actually do that. So, <laughs> yeah, this is actually going to be useful to me now. <laughs> hmm. Well, yeah, hopefully yeah. this is useful to other people that don't necessarily prep a homily. True enough. True enough. Well, I will tell you, our last week's conversation proved to be very helpful. Did it? Good. Yeah. I actually ended up using nothing that we said. <laughs> but but when I started preparing for my homily closer to the Sunday, I had already like gone through with you a lot of the thoughts that right. would have... Right. You know? So like... I even went out of my way to listen to last week's episode on my own. So mm-hmm. I, I listened to the whole thing and was like, oh, yeah, I forgot we were talking about that. Oh, yeah, because it was a couple of days later and I had forgotten the things that we mentioned. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, the homily ended up changing and becoming about something else on Sunday. But it was just so good to have had a conversation with you, mm-hmm. you know, days before to be able to, like, liter- like to, you know, be, be ahead of the game. Yeah. Yeah, and, you know, funnily enough, my homily also had nothing to do with what we talked about. <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, but the same thing, like, it's it's more, it's kind of like studying philosophy. It's really not about being able to write a, a philosophy paper. It's, it's about learning how to think through things. Absolutely, yeah. And so this was very helpful. Mm-hmm. I ended up preaching ultimately about prudence and the value of prudence for a Christian. Um, yeah, it was really good, you know, so the unfaithful steward or the dishonest steward at the very least he's being prudent about his future yeah and jesus is praising that yeah i i looked at i kind of compared him with the with the um with the northern kingdom with the israelites that amos was chastising and saying look we've got two examples here one one can recognize their failure and choose to do something else which was the unfaithful steward or Mm -hmm. like the israelites you can keep on keeping on and end up destroyed cast aside um, yeah yeah lost and we kind of you kind of alluded a little bit to that last week in our conversation about the importance of conversion and like yeah, yep you know being able to name your wrongdoing and be able to change mm-hmm. that's good that's good so keeping up with the themes though from the past couple of weeks and i mentioned this in my homily this week we have the second half of the 16th chapter of luke so this past week we had the first half which was the uh, the unfaithful steward or the dishonest steward. Now we have the second half of that chapter, which is the rich man and Lazarus. Uh, the mm-hmm. rich man and Lazarus. Yeah. What 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 do you got this week, man? Did anything stand out to you? You know, I love the story uh, of. Um, it's just a very kind of an imaginative. We're imagining being cast down to the netherworld, meeting Abraham and Moses and all of these great prophets and all. You know, it's just so such vivid imagery. Uh, and then I find, I, you know, it's, it's so true. I think this rich man, you know, just begging, begging, begging. And it's like, look, you had, <laughs> you had Moses and the prophets with you your entire life. Mm. Yeah. What, what do you think this drop of, of relief is going to do for you now? <laughs> mm. um, kind of follow, again, kind of following on the same theme of accepting one's consequences and, uh, really looking at what true conversion is about. 
Because mm. I think what this gospel is <coughs> criticizing really is that understanding of conversion that I think a lot of people have, that it's just this thing that I decide, oh, okay, yeah, I'm Christian now. Mm. Therefore, nothing bad is going to happen. You know, this sort of, um, you know, the bedside conversion. Well, is it real? Well, who knows? <laughs> right, um, right. But that's kind of what this guy is expecting, just to be able to say, oh, I want this now. Give it to me. Yeah. Yeah, and there's, I guess there's a lesson there of, I, I hadn't thought about that either, is there's something about eternal life is definitive, that there's mm-hmm. something definitive about where we will end up, you know, heaven or hell, wherever it is that we end up, there's something definitive about that. Um, and how we live on earth, maybe as a second point to that, how we live on earth determines something about how our life with God or our life apart from God for eternity will be. Um, yeah. And I kind of like your point, though, too, about consequences, that consequences matter, that the way yeah. that we behave on earth does matter for our eternal life. Yeah. You know, when I when I preach about or when I taught in high school about um, uh, like consequences, you know, I'd often use the the um, the image from the Christmas a Christmas Carol where the ghost mm-hmm. would come in with these big chains that he that he forged in life. Mm-hmm. Uh, and in my imagination, I always, I always think of them as like those ridiculously large um, chains that are attached to anchors on big ships. Oh yeah. 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 So like they're super heavy and like you wouldn't normally be able to lift them, but they're so big. You could literally just walk out of them. <laughs> but that's the thing <laughs> about that definitiveness is like the way that we've been, that we've forged them is to, to where it's impossible to do that very simple act, mm. which is yeah. conversion. Like, that's what Jesus is telling us to do. Let down your burden. Just drop it. Right, 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 right. Or even just something, like even that analogy that you, you like from C.S. Lewis about hell, about hell and heaven, mm-hmm. the difference between the two. Do you remember that? Uh, remind me. <laughs> about the, the feeding, the feeding of the two. So, like... In hell, you know, everyone has long spoons that their hands are attached to and they starve because they can't feed themselves. But in uh-huh. heaven, everyone has the same situation. Uh-huh. They just feed each other. Yeah. Um, you know, so something as simple as just rec- there's a simple solution to this. Right. But there's something about living a life of egotism and self-centeredness right. that destroys. Right. Um, the ability to so, do that. Yeah. So there, there were a few things I was thinking about with this gospel because I, I had a hard time thinking about like, well, what would I preach on if I was given this gospel apart from the first reading? Because the first reading, I think, gives us a clear indication again with Amos mm-hmm. that the God hears the cry of the poor and yeah. also people who are obsessed with wealth. And, you know, that line, woe to the complacent. They yeah. devise their own accompaniment. They shall be the first to go into exile. Mm-hmm. Like there's a clear admonition there of wealth, which connected back with the reading from last week is clear, too. Now, but if we took this week's gospel alone, I was thinking, like, what would I actually preach on? There were some things that stood out to me. One, did you notice that there's a few, like, reversals here? So, like, the rich man in the afterlife becomes the beggar. Yeah. Which I'd never really noticed before. Oh, yeah. He he begs in the afterlife. So there's something of a reversal there in the story. Um, but also another reversal that, that that was cool was that the rich man doesn't have a name. And the poor man does, which mm. doesn't seem to work right because in our expectation, it's the rich who have names and right. the poor beggars who are nameless. Right. Right. The invisible. So yeah. The invisible poor person. So there's just these reversals happening here that are putting the focus on, wait a minute, the rich man becomes the beggar and the poor man has a name. Jesus is making a point again 
about how the poor will inherit the kingdom of God. And that's and it's a lesson that's clearly on the surface there, too. But it's there's these devices that Luke uses to help emphasize that that the rich man will become the beggar and the poor man has a face, has a name, Mm -hmm. whereas the wealthy are nameless because they've lost themselves in their own wealth, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I agree with that. I like that. Um, you know, what, one of the things I was listening to another podcast about um, homily, homilies, and they were commenting on the fact that chapter and verse distinctions are a very modern innovation in terms of scripture mm-hmm. and how we, yeah, how we read yeah. that. And so if you go back, certainly to Jesus's time, um, these, well, right after when they were being written down, um, you would have the prodigal son immediately followed by the dishonest steward immediately followed by. So these are back to back to back is what I'm trying to say. So being able to look at them kind of a little bit more holistically, I think really... Uh, it gives it a little bit more of a pointed edge, perhaps. Mm. That look, mm. you know, people, you are going to, f- you're going to fail, <laughs> you're going right. to get lost, you you will um, stumble. Mm. But but, uh, let's go back to this second reading that we haven't really touched on. But you, man of God, pursue righteousness, devotion, faith, love, patience, and gentleness. Compete well for the faith. So even though all of these bad things are going to happen, we're going to become lost. We're going to trust in our wealth. We're going to do all of these things. But pursue righteousness. Mm-hmm. Like there's still mm-hmm. something that we can be doing. Um, right. And there's, a, right. there's kind of a measure for us to, to be able to identify if we're doing the right thing. Mm. So we're not just yeah. kind of wa- aimlessly wandering right in the desert. it's pursue faith pursue yeah. devotion pursue love pursue yeah. patience pursue christ uh, yeah and you see that i guess when the three readings that you've mentioned in luke's gospel is that there's the there's the prodigal son who turns around and goes home mm-hmm. and humbles himself to be before the father you have the the dishonest steward who act who at least is investing in his future and does something to yeah. you know remediate some of his wrong and then you have here well well how would you apply it here what is last is lazarus doing anything Hmm, that's a good question. Is Lazarus doing anything here? I don't think he is. I think he's just, he's a victim, you know, of, of this other man. So, like, all of the, there's all this language here of, like, the rich man dressed, the rich man dined, um, and then Lazarus was just lying at the door, covered in sores, you know, and yeah. would have been glad to eat of the scraps. You yeah. know, so I don't see that Lazarus is doing anything other than lying there, you know, in despair, and it's the rich man who is doing, but he's doing wrong, you know, by not loving Lazarus. Well, I wonder, um, hmm, I wonder if this is, because the thing that confuses me, honestly, about this gospel is kind of what I was just talking about, that Luke so often, and I've spoken about this before, that Luke has a really interesting theology of wealth, Mm -hmm. and that he's not necessarily saying that because you are rich you are going to hell you're going to be damned for all time no he says that this wealth is (laughs) you are much more likely to end up that way but it doesn't have Mm -hmm. to be the case right and so i wonder right right, exactly exactly in luke 
Jesus says that directly to the rich man. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I wonder if this, you know, because I think we read it as, um, you know, the series of events and then the rich man died and Jesus is telling us what happened. Mm-hmm. I wonder mm-hmm. if Jesus is, well, telling us a parable and like, look, this is what's going to happen to this rich man mm-hmm. if nothing yeah. happens. Right, right. Huh. Well, okay, so let's zoom out for a second. I and so, the, uh, have... so it's not about Lazarus is what I'm trying to say. It's about the rich man. Yeah. Yeah, well, this, yes, I'm glad you said that because there's something interesting here if you think about it in context with the prodigal son, with the dishonest steward, and now with this, that the audience of Jesus's stories changes. So the prodigal son is addressed to the disciples, mm-hmm. whereas, no, that's not right. The prodigal son is addressed to the The people Pharisees standing outside. And the Pharisees, right? It's addressed to the Pharisees. Yeah. And then... Last week's gospel is addressed to the disciples, and now we're back talking to the Pharisees. Mm-hmm. Is that right? Am I getting that right? Um, let me check up. Yeah, double check that here. because I think I think what's going on is that Jesus is speaking to the Pharisees in the in this story because they are the rich man, whereas in the story of the dishonest steward, he's speaking to the disciples because the lesson for them is to look at the dishonest steward and learn from him, even though. He's dishonest. He is doing something right. So yeah, the for the disciples, of the lost sheep was to the Pharisees and scribes murmuring. Yeah, and then last week was to the disciples, and now we're back yep. to the Pharisees. Yep. So there's just something interesting happening yep. there. So I think you can't you can't equate here the Pharisees with the rich man because it's to them that he's telling them this story. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. And I mean, I think that might be that'll be an interesting thing to. Um, an interesting thing to bring up because I think you're right that we immediately think of, oh, well, this is about Lazarus and how noble he is because he's poor. And that may be true, Mm -hmm. but the gospel is about conversion. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So, so here, so one of the things I like to do when I preach is I like trying to find some detail that can open up a door to something unexpected. Um, One way that I would probably try and preach on this is to notice that the only two things, while like the only two things in the story that recognize the dignity of Lazarus are a dog and an angel. Mm-hmm. So the beasts and the angels recognize the dignity of the human person, uh-huh. but it's the human person who fails to see it. Mm. And I think there's something really ironic there, but really beautiful too as a challenge to us is how... I mean, you could even think about it in terms of our own relationship to our pets and to our own relationship with, you know, spirits in general. So, like, we have this fascination with the spiritual world and we have a fascination with pets, but we deplore yeah. human beings. <laughs> so yeah. we we hate each other, but we, you know, we ride around Absolutely. with our dogs in the passenger seat. We are obsessed mm-hmm. with the spiritual world and the occult. But when it comes to human beings and their plight, we are very much yep. blind yep. to their worth. So I, yeah. there's, a, there's a lesson there that I think might be helpful hmm. if we equate ourselves with the Pharisees and, and the rich man is that look around you. Why are yeah. we so concerned about animal rights and also about spiritual but not religious when we don't even see the poor man at our doorstep? Absolutely. I know? think that's a really good point. You know, living in, in uh, the Bay Area the last couple of years and seeing the extreme homelessness was yeah. shocking. And I, I, rem- I don't know if I ever told you the story. When I was in St. Louis, 
Um, I can't remember if you were there at this point or not, but I remember walking across campus, and you know that part of the street that guys used to to beg? Yes. Um, One day I walked by, and there was an animal rights activist standing right next to him, Hmm. yelling at people and trying to get money to save the animals. And here is this man literally right next to him with not enough money to buy food, you know, for him and his family. It's like, yeah. "Ah." I was so upset that day. <laughs> yeah, 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 and it it does put a finger on the nerve for a lot of people that there there is there is a tension here of how we are quick to recognize injustice when it's towards animals, which is mm-hmm. just that's just yeah, to, absolutely. to recognize absolutely. But but it's just an interesting thing here. Like dogs even come and lick his sores. Well, that's our job too to come mm-hmm. and tend to the sores of those who are ill. You know, and it's also the angels who come and carry him to the bosom of Abraham. Well, that's our job is to bring the poor to the bosom of God. And I don't know. I think even if you spoke a little bit more with high theology or high philosophy, it's like metaphysically dogs are lower than humans and angels are higher than us. We're stuck in the middle there Mm -hmm. and we are being bested by those inferior to us (laughs) and those superior to us. And we ourselves can't even muster enough enough effort to care for those who are like us. Yeah, you know, I, well, I, I kind of like that, this, that angle. It goes back to this idea of, um, you know, uh, the old saying, united we stand and divided we fall. It's mm-hmm. like this is, there's nothing going on here except further and further division. And I think that's what's plaguing not just certainly this country and our church, but really the world that we're so content, not content, but we're so preoccupied with infighting that we're not able to really address the poor amongst us yeah 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 so luckily i think amos keeps me grounded this week like amos will keep me focused on the fact that god is making a clear injunction against the rich Uh um but it's not just the rich because you know woe to the complacent right the complacent is more than just material complacency You know, kind of to your point with the infighting, a lot of that infighting is ideological. Mm -hmm. And how complacent am I in my ideological, you know, fascinations, you know, politically or religiously? So there's a complacency there that blinds me to the needs of others. Um, So, yeah, you know, I I guess one last thought for me that I I just leave it as a question for you is I I didn't really understand why Abraham said no to the rich man's plea. Like Mm. you started with this, but I just... I want to go back to it just briefly. Like, why not? I kept asking myself. He said, I beg you to go to my father at least and tell him, you know, warn him. And Abraham says, no. I just like, well, why not? Like, that's, that seems like a fair request, right? That, well, what do you, what do I you mean, think? yeah, perhaps. But look, what is his response? They have Moses and the prophets. You've got the law and the word of God. What more do you need? Why does Abraham have to go there hmm. and do that? as well like if 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 the law is not going to keep you then what will right right huh like we don't we don't end with abraham that's the beginning like Mm. (laughs) uh yeah 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 huh it's interesting to think about it too just in light of the fact that he's talking to the pharisees because they Mm -hmm. have moses and the prophets exactly and that's i think that's (laughs) the other thing you know and in abraham sort of like ironically of course because there's an irony here that it's jesus telling the story that uh-huh. who will rise from the dead is he's <laughs> saying that they 
you Pharisees have the law and the prophets and you need to listen to them. Yeah. But I know that you won't and you also won't listen to one who rises from the dead. And the right. great irony is, of course, it's Jesus saying these words. Right, exactly. You know, it's kind of like Moses himself when, you know, when he was um, forbidden from entering into the promised land. Uh, this was the thing that my students always hated. Like, why would God punish him? He was such a good, you know, brought the law, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And it's like, could you, look at this man who was in the presence of God, who received the commandments personally. And then he does this thing that points to himself rather than God. Uh, there's kind of a proportionalism going on there that, yeah, it's not that big of a deal if you don't have that intimate, intimate knowledge of, of the God who told you to do this. Hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. But he should know better. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly right. He should literally yeah. should know better. <laughs> All right. Well, good. Well, this is great, man. This is a good start for the week. So I don't know if I'll be preaching this Sunday, but if in case I am, hopefully uh, I'll keep you posted. I'll let you know next week how this Absolutely. goes. Absolutely. All right, man. Cool, man. Deacon. Take, take care. Thank you, Father. <laughs> All right, brother. <laughs> Peace out. Bye. Cheers.